everybody and welcome back to exploring the Lord of the rings this is session number 181 uh and our session number hmm, 56 or something like that uh in uh 57 perhaps uh in uh the council of elrond but we are we have passed the high point it's the 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 cat is out of the bag. The final plan Elrond has decreed: we must send the ring to the fire. And if there is a council stronger than Morgul spells that is going to be taken uh, at this council, it would seem to me like that would be um, uh, that would be the 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 the, the my the, my leading candidate uh, for that post for sure. Um, so. Uh, to, uh, we finished last time with Boromir's um, uh, with Boromir's uh, uh, suggestion, right? His modest proposal uh, to, you know, why don't we take up the ring and use it against Sauron? That's what he most fears, I deem. Um, which seems, you know, a very, um, very reasonable thing, actually. But anyway... Um, we're going to see, finally, this evening, we're going to see Elrond's response to that. And then we'll watch Boromir in return. Because things are going to get a little bit interesting when Boromir is told no here, I think. I find this a very fascinating moment uh, in the personal dynamics uh, of the council. Um, before we begin, really just quick announcement to remind folks that we are, in fact, doing uh, a hybrid experience with Mythmoot this year. So we are going to be opening it up to an in-person uh, uh, attendance at Mythmoot this year, though we will also be doing a full digital uh, experience uh, for folks who want to participate digitally and can't make it in person. So... Um, I just wanted to kind of update. I, I announced that last week, and I wanted to kind of update folks that we are. Um, uh, we're they're, they're still. The last I heard from folks, they're still ironing out. The, I think we're we have clarified costs and everything, and now we're getting uh, we're rolling out the uh, registration links. So look this week um, uh, for. Um, Look this week for updates, uh, uh, like actual registration links. So if you've already registered, we'll have an upgrade link where you can just, uh, you know, uh, just kind of pay the balance to be able to come in person. And we'll have new links to be able to just sign up to come in person. So um, anyway, <laughs> hey, awesome. Uh, Tolkien Geek 27, <clears throat> congratulations on catching up. It's always fun when people catch up with us, though. You know, the disappointment always in catching up with us is that now we only do one session a week and uh, I talk slower than many of you normally listen to me talk when you're catching up. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so Tony was asking how the Mythmoot change affects the potential presenters. We're going to be doing presenters both ways. That is, we will have some presenters who will be presenting digitally and some who will be presenting in person. We're not going to be mandating in-person attendance uh, for presentation. We've done that in the past, um, 
but we're not doing that this year. So there will be some presentations given by people remotely, and there will be some presentations given by people live. And that'll be true even of our guests of honor. I'm not sure all of our guests of honor are going to be able to make it. It's going to be a real, genuine hybrid experience this year. Um, and my, you know, our number one goal uh, uh, for this year's Mythmoot, the 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 sort of the biggest challenge that I'm most looking forward uh, to tackling, is to making it a really genuine hybrid experience where both the people who are present together live in person uh, and the people who are together live remotely um, are going to be able to to really come together and merge and have a, a, you know an experience where everyone is equally involved uh, in the entire conference. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really, uh, I'm really excited about that. So, um, anyway, that is, um, um, <laughs> that's where we are. That's where we are headed. Um, okay. <laughs> that's true. JJ points out that I, we'd need to figure out some way for the online people to get lost while wandering around the facility. Um, uh, I, 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 you know, I think it's possible JJ that some of the live attendees could perhaps, uh, you know, help folks to experience that, right? I don't know if we need like GoPro cameras or something, but uh, uh, but you know, I, th- I think I, th- I think we might be able to. Sh- so if you find yourself lost this year, share the experience, you know, with people. Uh, <laughs> it'll be it'll be cool. Um, but um, anyhow, that's um, that's what we're that's what we're looking forward to. So I hope to be able to see many of you all. Uh, this is going to be a really, really exciting time. Um, all right. Well, let us get back. Uh, let us get uh, get get back to the text here. Um, so the answer to Boromir's. And remember that if there was uh, and coming back to the point that Matt was making last week. Um, the most promising thing about the um, uh, Boromir's little speech was how he ended it, right? Um, uh, you know, let the ring be your weapon, take it and go forth to victory, which was nice, right? Like he was, although I think that there's evidence, and I'm particularly thinking of the way in which he was fingering his great horn before he started speaking, which leads me to think that he is thinking of his own glory and leading charges into battle. You know, that that idea is already, um, you know, kind of planted in him. Nevertheless, um, that um, he's not very far advanced along the temptation uh, side, right? He seems to genuinely, I don't see any reason to believe that he doesn't mean what he says. Um, uh, take it uh, and go forth to victory that um, he is suggesting that they take it. Um, exactly, Tony. He does sound like he's assuming that Elrond would be taking up the ring himself. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, right? Absolutely logical. And he's willing to like you know play his part that gondor should play its part uh in that happening um he's not uh he's not again he's not very far down that road um yet um but um anyway yeah um I agreed. Uh, Captain Mo says Boromir is on the first stage of uh, ring-induced speech. Absolutely. Exam- absolutely. And I think it's it's important to see uh that you know that he's not so far along uh, yet. Um, 
And uh, Brandon, you're right. It's not necess- It's not necess- necessary. Absolutely necessary that it's Elrond in particular that he's thinking of. Um, there are a bunch of potential candidates in the room, as you as you say. Um, I still think Elrond is the most likely. I mean, after all, we're talking about the guy who was just giving his personal just, who a little while back was giving his personal rec- recollections about you know marching at the side of Gilgalad, you know, in, in the Battle of the Last Alliance. You know, the, the guy who was like, oh, yeah, Isildur and, and Elendil. Yeah, they were they were nice guys. <laughs> you know, like this guy marched and fought alongside Elendil and Isildur. You know, that's got to impress Boromir uh, a good bit. So um, anyway, um, Aragorn would be uh, second. <clears throat> well, Nathan, we'll have to see what Boromir might think of that. Um, I doubt that's what he was thinking of when he said, take the ring and uh, uh, and go to victory. Anyway, Elrond's response. Alas, no, said Elrond. We cannot use the ruling ring. That we now know too well. It belongs to Sauron and was made by him alone and is altogether evil. Its strength, Boromir, is too great for anyone to wield at will, save only those who have already a great power of their own. But for them it holds an even deadlier peril. The very desire of it corrupts the heart. Consider Saruman. If any of the wise should, with this ring, overthrow the Lord of Mordor, using his own arts, he would then set himself on Sauron's throne, and yet another dark lord would appear. And that is another reason why the ring should be destroyed. As long as it is in the world, it will be a danger even to the wise. For nothing is evil in the beginning. Even Sauron was not so. I fear to take the ring to hide it. I will not take the ring to wield it. Nor I, said Gandalf. Okay. Um, uh, Now, Captain Moe, that is exactly where I want to... uh, start this, right? We cannot use the ruling ring, he says. Now, <clears throat> I was com- complaining last week about uh, one of the things that I was disappointed by uh, in the um, in the films <clears throat> that they kind of, um, in my opinion, kind of wimped out about this point. Like, in order just to sort of simplify and streamline the story, which, like, whatever, you know, there's reasons to do that, um, they simply made it impossible. You know, like Elrond just says, like, no, we can't. It won't work for us, right? And that's very, very, very different from what Elrond is saying. It is not that Boromir's plan is an impractical one. In fact, it's entirely practical. Could they take the ring and uh, march to victory against Sauron? Probably. Probably. Almost certainly they could do that, right? <clears throat> when he says we cannot use the ruling ring, um, he is not speaking of possibilities. Exactly, Gilgonthir, it's almost too practical and tempting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and uh, Ilhamar, you're right, Sauron does know that they can. Uh, and we will see that confirmed uh, later on. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, Matt, I'm thinking about that, too. Yes, we will remember we'll come back um, later on when we're all much older and grayer. Uh, we'll come back to the, to the comment that Saruman makes to Frodo uh, in uh, in, you know, outside on the on the threshold of Bag End um, in the scouring of the Shire. Um, that, that is very I was that passage was going through my head, too, when we were thinking about this. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, okay. Um, 
Uh, Stephanie asks an interesting question. Is Boromir assuming that this would be a collective decision? Um, I think if he does think that, he has reason. Remember Gandalf. Here we are, and here is the ring. What shall we do with it, right? And I was saying at the time that if Elrond were just coming in and saying, you know, if, if instead of that, Elrond had just been like, okay, folks, and here's what's going to happen, I don't think anyone would have objected. I think everyone would have respected that. Um, but it has been kind of thrown open to, you know, discussion. Um, and... Um, yeah, exactly. As Gogonthier says, it certainly gave the impression that people would get a real vote uh, in the conversation. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. Um, oh, Ray, that's a really interesting question. I'll just mention it because I don't know if we're going to be able to talk about it in detail tonight. But Ray says, uh, I wonder if all of the wise in Rivendell have already made their peace uh, with the use of the ring in the same way that Galadriel will later on. Um yeah, yeah, if everybody's kind of on board with it. Yeah, I wonder that too. We'll see, we'll, we'll get a little bit of this in a bit, but um uh yeah, yeah. Um yeah. Anyway, okay. So, I want to come back to the beginning again. We cannot use the ruling ring again when he says cannot, he doesn't mean it won't work. He doesn't mean it's impractical if anything as we've said the opposite is true. It is because it is very practical uh that they must not use the ruling ring. So, why does he say cannot instead of must not? Right? Um I believe when he says we cannot use the ruling ring, what he means is we cannot win by using the ruling ring. Um uh, we could, and we could defeat Sauron, but that wouldn't help. Um, in the end, we would not be solving the problem at all by doing that. So it, it is not possible to use the ruling ring as a solution to the problem. It will never serve as a solution to the problem. So I believe that he uses the more absolute cannot in order to make it clear. He, I think he wants to take this off the table as firmly as possible. Um, and I'm interested to see the way that he contextualizes this again at the end. So we'll come back to the way that he kind of frames. I think his framing of his response to Boromir is really important, right? He starts with, alas, no. Alas is interesting. Let's not skip over alas, right? Alas, no. He acknowledges, in the word alas, I think he acknowledges why this seems like a good idea to Boromir, right? Um... You know, I mean, there is kind of a like, yeah, if only, right? Wouldn't that be nice, right? Wouldn't it be nice if we could, in fact, use this against Sauron? If we, if this, um, what if Providence had brought the ring to, again, then this was Boromir's line of thinking, clearly, right? What if Providence has brought the ring among them just now in the nick of time, just so as to be used against Sauron, right? That they are in their desperate time of need. Providence has brought uh, into their hand the one weapon that would enable them to overthrow Sauron. Um, what a gift, right? What a miracle. What, what a, what a eucatastrophe uh, for that to occur. And that is a perfectly viable line of thinking, right? And again, one of the obvious potential outcomes, like back to Gandalf's statement, here we are and here is the ring, what should we do with it? 
perfectly logical suggestion. Not only a logical suggestion, not only a practical suggestion, but it would seem to be at least potentially a perfectly good kind of interpretation. Like, you know, we talked about interpreting like the flow of the music, right? And thinking about providence um, that would seem like a perfectly acceptable way uh, to think about providence there and what providence is up to. Um, why have all of these things happened the way that they have? Why have we been put in this position? Elrond seems to acknowledge all those things um, with the word, alas, alas, no, I wish, kind of wish, you know, like wouldn't, that would be cool, <laughs> right? It would be cool if this, but we can't, that's not. Um, so again, I think when he's I get, coming back again to the force of that word, cannot, Although that seems like a viable reading of what Providence is up to here, of like the, you know, that this might be the marching orders that we're getting, you know, from Providence. Um, instead, Elrond is saying that is not a possible reading. It's not that it's impossible to do. It would be possible for them to take up the ring and use it against him. But it is not possible that that's what Providence is telling them to do. That is not uh, a viable reading of this. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, good. Uh, sorry, I'm behind on comments again. Uh, Nick, I really like that observation. He says that the use of you cannot use the ruling ring is similar to Gandalf's you cannot pass. Well, the Balrog is capable of passing, right? Um, it's a very firm statement, right? You cannot. Like, that's, that, like, no. Like, we're disqualifying that, right? So, Balrog, you're disqualified from passing me on this bridge, right? That is not going to happen, right? It is a functional impossibility. Um, not that it's impractical, right? Not that it's a logical contradiction, but it is not, absolutely not, um, uh, going to happen. And, um, and I think that I agree that Elrond is using it in a very similar, similar sense there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, now, Fourth Dauntless, let me for a second address um, your, uh, let me address your question, your comment about triumph on the field of battle for a day. Um, uh, Fourth Dauntless is pointing back to our dis previous discussions about their relative ignorance of, Sa of Sauron's current military power um, and how we've been talking about how it seems to only become clear later on that there is no way that they're going to be able to defeat Sauron because they do not yet know his full military power. After all, from an Elvish point of view, he just like declared himself the day before yesterday. So, I mean, it's only been like 60 years. So um, anyway... Uh, yeah, so for Thoughtless, I do think, so I think your question, your original question was, um, could they even, like, even if they did try to use the ring against Sauron, would it work? Because they're still so militarily outnumbered. Um, yes, I think yes. And the reason I think yes there, um, is that I take the evidence of Saruman, right? I think that Saruman thinks that if he gets the ring of power, he will be able to command the orcs. Um, so he will be able to turn Sauron's enemies against Sauron. Um, he would be able to 
have the power of command. Maybe it would give him authority over the Easterlings and the Southrons, but it would, I think, he believes, certainly give him power over the Orcs. Um, so, yes, I believe that even the military might of Sauron would be swayed. Now, again, you're saying, but hang on a second, Sauron didn't use the Ring of Power to establish his authority over the Orcs because he's not had it, you know, for 3,000 years, and yet he still obviously has authority over the Orcs. Yes, that's true. But again, it's, it is that dominion. He is exerting, Sauron is exerting his own power to dominate the spirits of others. That is how he's commanding the Orcs. That is the power a big chunk of which he put into the ring, right? So um, at the very least, it would enable a kind of like spiritual arm wrestling match over the hearts and souls of the orcs uh, with Sauron. You know, Sauron exerting uh, his remaining non-ring-based power over the orcs and the new ring lord exerting both Sauron's power that is contained within the ring and also that person's own native power and authority, of which, as we can see, Saruman has a very great deal, right? Saruman has accomplished a very great deal, not only among uh, the orcs that he has trained and bred himself, um, but even among the Dunlendings, where he has made various different kinds of political inroads, whether it be through... um, uh, through deception or oppression, uh, you know, some various combination of those things. Um, he's, and not to mention the way in which he has succeeded in undermining and corroding Rohan as well. So he's done a great deal with his own native power, augmented by the particular power of command and domination of spirits that the ring contains. I think that he is completely um, capable of doing that, I suspect. Um but, um, yeah, so I do believe that uh, it would work even against Sauron's military power. I think that it would uh, uh, it would it would it would make that possible. Um, OK. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see. Fourth Dauntless. That's an interesting point. Uh, sorry, I'm like, again, super behind on your comments. Um, <clears throat> you say you've understood that Gandalf's comment about cannot pass um, is sort of speaking that outcome into being. Is that what we think Elrond is doing? I'm inclined to say no. Um, not exa- not in exactly that same way. Um, but in a sense, actually, I do think like he's not using, applying the force of his will to, like, say, stop thinking about it, stop asking, I am opposing you by force. Like, he's not doing any of those things. Um, But he is making it really clear. Like, this is not, this option, um, this is the speech, you know, I'm beginning the speech in which I am taking that option right off the table, right? So... Um, after this, we're going to move on from this because this is not an option at all. And I'm going to explain why this is absolutely not an option. Um, so he's not exactly, you know, trying to dominate, you know, the rest of the council and say, you know, I refuse to listen to anything else. But he is, I think, making his argument as emphatic clear and forceful as he possibly can. So in a sense, he's kind of doing it, but not exactly in the same way. I agree. Um, okay. Um, 
Yeah, Michael, that's a really interesting question. Um, would the person with the new ring lord be able to command the Nazgul? Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. Because um, the Nazgul are dominated by their rings, um, which are commanded by the whole purpose of the one ring, right, was to uh, uh, to be able to command the other rings, right, to, to gain supremacy over the other rings. So, um, so, yeah, I would absolutely think that the Nazgul would come over to their side. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. All right. Um, okay, sorry. You, there's uh, so many comments. Um, all right. Um, yeah. All right. Good. Matt, that's a, Matt from Wisconsin. That's exactly where we're going next. That we now know too well. That's the sentence that really jumped out at me, uh, you know, in the context of everything that we've been talking about. Now, that, that we now know too well. The words now and to are the ones that jump out at me there, Matt, in that sentence. That we now know too well. Um, so we have recently, even in the present, discovered for certain all too well that we cannot use the ruling ring. And I think that he is setting up what he is going to say in just a few sentences. It is the story of Saruman. I think that it has to be what he's referring to there. Um, there's no, there are only a few new pieces of information that they have received in this council. I mean, they're big ones, right? Uh, the ring still exists. Uh, it's still in circulation. And oh, by the way, it's here. Um, that's big, right? It's very important news. Um, but remember Elrond's, this is grievous news concerning Saruman, right? That's the really big thing. Um, uh, and, um, yeah. Now, Tony, I see your points about ring lore. I want to hang on to that for a second. Let's, let's, uh, um, Let's. Well, OK, no, I won't hang on to that. I'll talk about that now. I suspect that you're right, Tony. Tony is pointing out that the ring lore, um, what he's going to say in this paragraph about how the ring of power works and what it's about um, would logically have almost certainly come from Saruman himself. Saruman is the one who's been studying the rings of power. Um, that's remember, that's his academic specialty. Always has been. Um. He's the one who went in for the study of ring lore. Um, what does Elrond know? Now, does Elrond have any independent sources of information? Like, is there stuff that he would have learned about um, Sar uh, Sauron's ring not directly from Saruman? Yes, I think that he would have some other sources. I mean, um, did he know Celebrimbor? He probably did, right? Um uh, did Celebrimbor consult with Gilgalad? We know that he did. Um, I mean, Gilgalad was given one of the elven rings, right? So, um, and was Elrond in the room when Celebrimbor and Gilgalad were having whatever conversation they had surrounding the giving of the ring? Yeah, I think so. Um, so, 
you know, to what extent was Elrond in the know? I, I, everything that we know about it suggests to me that he was, again, he was right there. He was Gilgalad's right-hand guy. Um, I think he knew everything that Gilgalad did um, uh, about uh, Anatar and Celebrimbor and the Rings of Power project um, and all that kind of thing. Um, so, um, yeah, and Seamus, he, well... He was kind of neighbors with Celebrimbor, but remember, he only really moves into Imladris um, when Celebrimbor is busy being destroyed. Um, so I don't think that he lived next door to Celebrimbor for all that very long. Um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, but anyway, I, you know, he would have he would have known a great deal. Um, um, exactly. Yeah. As Trifle's pointing out, Rivendell was founded during the retreat from the destruction of Eregion. Exactly. So they, they, he wouldn't have lived next door to Celebrimbor for a long time. Um, but uh, but again, that doesn't mean he had no contact with Celebrimbor. Remember, Gilgalad is the High King of the Noldor, of whom Elra, or Celebrimbor is conspicuously one, right? Uh, Celebrimbor is one of the, possibly the, well, second to Galadriel, maybe, um... Uh, Celebrimbor has got to be like the number three ranking Noldo left in Middle-earth in the Second Age. Um, So, yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, does that mean that Celebrimbor is giving, you know, sending uh, Gilgoad reports of all of his, uh, you know, his his uh, his his notes and everything else. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, but um, yes, and Houthcastle, Celebrimbor is Feanor's grandson. That is that is correct. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so um, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Okay, uh, yes, all right. Um, so I think that he he would know some things. Again, it's not like he would have been... I don't think that Celebrimbor would have necessarily even had a chance to spill everything to him, but you know, maybe they did. You know, I, how much consultation was there? Um, <clears throat> I mean, in the annals, it makes it sound like it kind of happened pretty immediately, right? Like as soon as Celebrimbor overhears... Um, you know, is, is aware of Sauron's betrayal, that Sauron then immediately marches and goes and destroys Celebrimbor, but the distances are fairly great, right? I mean, there was a little bit of time there, um, and it seems it seems pretty clear that Celebrimbor had time to consult with Gilgalad and the others. So did a repentant and chagrined Celebrimbor have a long heart-to-heart with Gilgalad and Elrond prior to his destruction and the overthrow of Eregion? Um, I think very likely. Um, uh, I think that's how I'd write it. Um, uh, not necessarily, you know, uh, I don't know how humble Celebrimbor is at the end of the day. Um, more humble than his grandfather, but that's a fairly low bar. Or Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a fairly low bar. Um, uh, or maybe it's a high bar for humility. Easy to get under. Um, but um, anyway... Yeah, Michael, it's going to be awesome to script that for film film in 15 years. You're totally right. Um, I just think, Michael, by the time we get to Eregion and the forging of the Rings of Power, the depiction of those things in the Amazon series will be as far in the past from then as the Peter Jackson films are now. (laughs) 
<laughs> something like that. Uh, but anyway, um, okay. So this is all Tony coming back to your questions about ring lore and the source of Elrond's ring lore. Is he passing along some of the things that they have learned from Saruman? Probably so. Is it influenced by that? Probably so. But again, I don't think it's necessarily true that Elrond must have either either just be retelling what Saruman told them or have done his own independent research into Ringlar. I do think that he would have had some other sources, like Celebrimbor would be one of his would be his primary source, I would think. Now, keep in mind, that means that he himself would have been the source of much of Saruman's lore. Right. Saruman doubtless interviewed him extensively uh, about, uh, you know, debriefed extensively about his conversations with Celebrimbor. Uh, right. Uh, uh, before this. Um, so. Um, uh, so anyway, they they um, I think some of it is going to go the other way around uh, there to some extent. Um but is he sharing some of the things that they learned from Saruman? I, you know, I, I'm sure he'd be careful about it because they don't know exactly how lo- for how long Sauron, Saruman rather has been deceiving them. Um, uh, thinking about Anatar there for a second. Um, he doesn't know how long Saruman has been deceiving them. Um, so I, I am sure he is busily in his own mind putting an asterisk next to a whole bunch of things that he thought he knew about the Ring of Power uh, because Saruman is clearly no longer to be trusted. Um, but <clears throat> they already know ample. And in fact, as of course, as one of you was pointing out a while earlier on, um, he also has himself been a ring bearer for 3,000 years. Uh, so there are some things that he is going to understand um, uh, about the ring of power, about the rings of power, like how rings, what rings of power are and how they work that a lot of other people aren't going to know. And by the way, just to sort of file something away for a passage I'm not sure we're going to get to tonight, might be moving on to next week. Um, this is going to be relevant. One of the things we're going to see in the next couple paragraphs after this is there's going to be a lot of ignorance, right? Like since we're on the subject, on the subject of using rings against Saruman, let's talk about that more, right? Um, we're going to be talking about the dwarf rings and the elf rings in that context. One of the things that is going to be clear, so spoiler alert, um, people, they don't understand what the rings of power are. They don't understand what they are. They don't understand how they work. Um, there is a whole lot of very understandable ignorance about the rings of power circulating uh, in the world. Um, Elrond is one of the uh, least ignorant about the rings of power of anyone in Middle-earth, basically. Only Sauron himself probably knows more about the rings of power because um, Elrond has, in fact, wielded one and is wise in elven lore and, you know, new Celebrimbor and all that stuff, right? So, um, So some of the things that he is going to go on to explain here I think are not necessarily things he need have learned from Saruman, um, but are things that he um, would have experienced uh, himself. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Um, Yes, and you're right, Tony. There were about a dozen people who knew about these things anyway. Yeah, now again... That's true in one sense, but there are clearly stories that remain. Boromir knows about you know, the Great Ring. Um, Balin, you know, Balin, the dwarves knew about it, right? I don't think they talked about it openly. Um, they're pretty secretive at the best of times, right? And so they were fairly, clearly fairly secret about it. But Balin knew, 
um, Dan knew, Glowin knew, and therefore presumably all of the other like close advisors of King Dan and Erebor knew um, about the uh, you know Thror's ring. So anyway, okay. Uh, sorry, let me try to come back to. All right, okay. Uh, Morinatar. Uh, couldn't Saruman's corruption simply be a result of his own evil desires and not necessarily proof that the ring is fully corrupting to anyone? Um, that's a really neat question. Okay, on the one hand, yeah, no question that the ring has not been acting directly on Saruman. And we were kind of talking about, you know, like the ring uh, operating from a distance and stuff. It's not. I mean, it's not like it is. We have reason to think from the previous passage that the ring is already acting on Boromir, that Boromir is having thoughts, um, that some of the images that are running through his mind before he opens his mouth and speaks in the previous passage are very likely of the ring's planting in his mind. Exactly the kinds of, um, you know, sort of uh, selfish fantasies and rationalizations which so frequently um, accompany the direct action of the ring upon the mind and desires of a nearby person. Um, was that happening with Saruman? <clears throat> was the ring calling to him over the miles? You know, like Jane Eyre calling to Mr. Rochester? I don't think so. Um, uh, so, no, I absolutely agree with you that Saruman's corruption is a result of his own evil desires, but don't forget that um, we've already gotten to the passage, haven't we? Where they talk about how it's perilous to study too deeply the devices of the enemy. Um, there's danger there, right? Um, I do think, Morinatar, and by the way, I am delighted by your name. Uh, delighted by your name because Morinitar is one of the names of the Blue Wizards that I always forget. Like, I can never remember it. Uh, so if you keep coming to class, then maybe I will, like, f finally stop forgetting that name. I always I have to, I, have, I, I don't know, can I not tell you how many times I have looked up the name Morinitar? Um, but anyway, um, okay, so... Um, Yes, yes. Now, um, Eruahil, I agree, it does come down to um, uh, Tolkien understanding things about desire, absolutely. Um, but at the same time, there is a there is a corrupting influence on it. Now, of course, we have the um, um, we have the Palantir and stuff. You know, there's going to be we will have to go back when Gandalf goes back. We will get to go back and try to kind of piece together the story of Saruman, right? So I promise at a later time, substantially later time, we're going to go back and we're going to try to put together like the whole story of Saruman as it's depicted in The Lord of the Rings. But for this purpose, um, it is clear that Elrond and Gandalf believe that Saruman's ring studies were part of the cause, one of the causes of his corruption. Um, that in studying the devices of the enemy, he came not only to oppose him, but to envy him um, and to seek to rival him rather than to um, 
rather than merely to oppose him. Again, I am not at all trying to say that he's not sort of falling through his own choices, that it's his own desires for power. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it is. And I'm certainly not saying that the ring was acting on him. Um, but, um, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but, so yes, so in this way, his, Saruman's desire for the ring, his plan to use the ring, um, is a symptom in a sense, rather than a cause, right? Um, It's not what led him to fall. His desire for the ring did not lead him to fall. Exactly. Um, Though the idea of the ring kind of does lead him to fall. Um, But but I think there's more here. When he says that we now know too well, I don't think it's only Saruman that he's talking about. That we know now, we now know too well. Um, I think there are some other things that he is suggesting here. Um, I think that he, there are some things that they have learned. Um, uh, yeah, Nathan says Gandalf's story of Gollum is likely. Yes, they have learned, good, exactly. Drasnake says, now equal since he's learned of Saruman, Bilbo, Frodo, and Smeagol. And the interesting thing to me is that once again, I, I find myself coming back to the censored bits in the Hobbit stories earlier on, right? And I was finding it interesting at the time that Bil- the story of Bilbo giving up the ring, of the struggle that Gandalf had in order to help Bilbo to give up the ring, um, the difficulty he had there is a thing that gets skipped over. And Frodo's... Um, so, like, there's a... A kind of a, I don't know. That seems to be one of the things. Elrond knows this story, right? Elrond knows this story. Gandalf knows this story. Um, the effect that the ring has on people. Gollum is the more open uh, kind of um, uh, kind of uh, version of the story, right? Um, yeah, I, I totally agree, Tony, that Gandalf had to have told Elrond about that. Yes, I am sure that he knows. Absolutely sure that Elrond knows probably more than Bilbo does, probably understands more than Bilbo does, though he seems, though I think that Bilbo now knows more. Um, after his encounter with the ring in the, uh, in the Hall of Fire, I think that Bilbo now understands fully um, what was happening with him and to him. Um, and has a clearer and better understanding of the whole perilous situation with the ring and why Gandalf has always discouraged him from going back and fetching it. Um, but in any case, Gandalf and Elrond understood uh, perfectly well. Um, but Tony, I agree. Gan- uh, Gollum, as the study of the really long-term effects of the ring, um, it's pretty cool. And that is enough to extrapolate from. We know the effect that the ring has on people. We don't need to talk about the effect that it had on our dear friend Bilbo, who is sitting sitting and present with us, whose stomach is rumbling right over there. Um, It's enough to look at Gollum and and see what the impact of possessing the ring is. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, And that's interesting, Nathan. They have had more exposure to the Ringwraith since last time. you know, others have had exposure to ringwraiths. I mean, Gorfindel has been chasing ringwraiths around for, you know, centuries. So he, uh, um, 
he's familiar with them. Um, but 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 yes, there are certainly some um, some things that they um, um, uh, uh, some some things that they have possibly learned there. Um, yeah, good. Oh, Frumius Bujum, very good. Frumius Bujum says, don't forget Isildur. Even the lesser rings that Sauron touched don't exactly have a wholesome effect on those that wield them. No, that's true. But yes, Isildur, right? They have learned about how Isildur himself was being corrupted. Um, there's, They've heard evidence of that. Um, yes, yes. Um, was the Witch King a wraith when Angmar fell? Yes, definitely. 100%. 100%. Um, absolutely. Um Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, and um, Bjarna Soner, I agree. Um, if you combine what they learned about Isildur and what they have learned about Gollum, and you combine those two things, right? Isildur is a really important data point because you could say, Boromir certainly could say, right? Well, maybe that's what happens when some, you know, selfish little mewling halfling takes the ring for himself, right? But not one, you know, not a, a great king of noble heart, right? Uh, like if uh, one of the great and mighty of the kings of men were to take the ring, surely they uh, would not, you know, succumb to the kind of petty and selfish evil that uh, this golem creature, that consumed this golem creature. Um, and then we have evidence of Isildur himself, right? Um, so that's a big deal, I agree. Okay. Um, interesting. Matt from Wisconsin says, is Bilbo part of the proof or a potential red herring because he gave it up? It is really interesting, right? Maybe that's why they don't want to talk about it, right? Let's, uh, um, yeah. Talking about that too much might give the impression that it's not such a big deal, right? Um, Gandalf and Elrond know it was a really big deal. Right, that Bilbo needed all of Gandalf's help to do it, and that Bilbo was also pretty extraordinary. Um, yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, now Trifle, I do agree that Bilbo does not claim the ring, um, and not in the sense that Frodo is going to end up doing, not with the intent to use it to dominate, as you say. I agree. Um, Trifle, I would. I would point to three different levels of ring, um, ring, uh, possession, right? Ring ownership, um, which are very distinctly different. There is first, like, having the ring in your care or custody, but not claiming it at all, not claiming any, not possessing it, right? Um, for instance, Gandalf is in custody of the ring when he's sitting in Bag End um, staring at the mantelpiece where the Ring of Power is sitting until Frodo comes. Right? Waiting for Frodo to appear in the you know, minutes, half hour, or whatever, you know, uh, that it takes after Bilbo has departed and before Frodo returns, Gandalf is in custody of the ring. But he is not a ring bearer. He does not possess it. He explicitly refuses it. Do not give the ring to me, right? And he's like, I, I, I am no way. I am not taking ownership of the ring, even briefly. If, you know, Bilbo tries to hand it to him and says, you keep it until Frodo comes, and he's like, no, 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 because if he takes it, now he's the possessor of it. It's his ring now, right? Even if he's like, oh, but I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna only hand it to Frodo in half an hour, he still, at that moment, becomes, um, uh, becomes the possessor of it. And similarly, yes, Tony, when, Fro when Frodo hands it to him, 
uh, and he throws it in the fire. He's not taking ownership of it. It's still Frodo's ring. He's he's holding it, right? It's not about. It's not a touch thing. It's not like the uh, sort of the silliness of the the sorry. Uh, I was rolling my eyes, remembering the Elder Wand uh, in uh, the last Harry Potter book, but um, uh, it's it's not like that. Um, it's um, he takes the um, the 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 ring and throws it in the fire, but it, he he doesn't possess it, right? It's still Frodo's ring. So that's one level, right? The one level is being in custody of it. The second level is having possession of it, right? Claiming it as your own. It's mine, my own, my precious. When you're at that stage, you're at stage two of ring ownership, right? But the third stage uh, of ring ownership is, uh, and yeah, Tom Bombadil trifle is another good example. Tr- Tom Bombadil doesn't claim ownership. It doesn't become his ring when he's holding it. Um, you know, give me the precious ring, um, he says to Frodo, but he's not uh, taking possession of it, right? He's just holding it there. Um, when you pos- not only possess it, but you set your will to use it, to use its full power, to, tr- to use it to dominate the wills of others, to... to to win, right? Um, that is a different level. Um, and remember, Galadriel is going to point to this when Frodo says, "Hey, I have a question. You know, uh, um, I have the Ring of Power, um, and it's supposed to give you power over all the other Elvish rings. And like, you know, <clears throat> but I can't like see into the hearts and minds of the Elvish, you know, the Elven ring holders. Like, what? What's up with that? Right? Um, is it malfunctioning? Like, you know what? What? And um, Galadriel says. You haven't tried. You haven't tried. Right? <clears throat> you have not set your will to master the ring. To possess it, yes. It's his ring. Right? Um, but he's not set his will to master the ring. Um, and to use the ring. And I agree, that is in fact what is going to happen to him. What he is going to do, I should say. At the cracks of doom. Right. When when Frodo says the ring is mine and puts it on his hand um, at the cracks of doom, he is moving up to stage three there. Um, <laughs> yes, Seamus, I agree. I got to think that Goadriel was a little bit alarmed, you know, uh, <laughs> at Frodo's comment there. Uh, probably so. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but um Anyway, yeah. Okay. Um, so, all right, cool. But getting getting back to our passage. Okay. Um, that we know, we now know too well. And again, the too well, um, we know it too well. We know it to our cost. And I think he's looking not only at Saruman, right, Um Look at Saruman. Look at what he's wanting to do, right? Look at what the desire for the ring has led him to, even without the influence of the ring itself, right? But more than that, look at Isildur. Look at Isildur. Look at Gollum, right? Look what it does. We now have pretty clear evidence of what this ring leaves behind in its wake, right? It belongs to Sauron and was made by him alone and is altogether evil. Um... It is not just, you know, and it might seem, remember the discussion that we had about means and ends when we were talking about Saruman, right? Saruman is making a, the means don't really matter so long as your ends are correct argument to Gandalf, right? Um, And we know that's a pretty bad sign uh, 
um, that's that's a pretty bad sign uh, that he's making that kind of argument. And Tolkien does not go in for those kinds of the ends justify the means moral arguments. That's pretty clear. Um, Notice that I think Elrond is trying to circumvent any such argument here, right? Um, It isn't that one could say, uh, like, basically, this is um, this sentence, it belongs to Sauron and was made by him alone and is altogether evil, seems to be... He doesn't want anybody making a, like, um, you know, guns don't kill people, people kill people argument about the Ring of Power, right? Like, you know, what do you mean when you say the Ring of Power is altogether evil, right? I mean, come on, it's uh, it's powerful, right? And obviously such power couldn't can be misused, right? I mean, it's, 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 uh, uh, it's a serious responsibility, but as long as, you know, you're using it the right way and for the right ends, what's the harm? Right. Um, It's not intrinsically evil in itself. And he's saying, um, yeah, exactly, Seamus. This is not a tool. Don't think of this as a weapon. That's what Boromir said. Like, this is a weapon. Right. We, we, We need first strength. We've got that. And then a weapon. Great. Let the ring be your weapon. And he's saying, no, it is not that. Don't think of it like a weapon that you can just use and use to a good end. Right. Weapons, too, like a sword can be used for evil and for good. Right. It's um. But um, it is altogether evil. It is not just, you know, a powerful weapon that might end up getting used to a bad end, right? It is something which corrupts you itself. Um, Exactly. JJ, as you say, there's a morality to the ring itself, not just to the use of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. and yes, Bjarna's owner, it not only is extremely powerful, but it also amplifies um, uh, amplifies the user's desire for power. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Good. Good. Um, oh. Okay. Matt from Wisconsin, I'm going to resist the temptation to talk about Turin's black sword. Or am I? (laughs) Or am I? Um, Yeah. Sort of. Sort of. I sort of am. Okay, no, I'll talk about it a little bit. Only indirectly, though. I'm not going to get into the whole story of Turin Turinbar, but what I am going to talk about is um, it is relevant in that what makes Turin's black sword sketchy is that it contains some of the evil will of the maker. Um, So it's not neutral. It is not a neutral um, artifact that can be used, you know, uh, for good or can be used for evil, um, depending on <clears throat> the choice of the wielder. Um, uh, there is a dark spirit that is in it. That is very much more, uh, you know, the, the, the ring is the extreme version of that, right? Where it's not only that some of the evil spirit and malice of the maker has been imbued in the artifact um, by the process that we know happens. That's like what makes 
a magical artifact magical uh, in Tolkien's world in large part. Um, but it is certainly not neutral, Freebird, because um, it's not just that this is a thing that was made and kind of has Sauron's like spiritual fingerprints on it, right? It doesn't just kind of have the odor of Sauron's malice about it. Um, it is the distillation of Sauron's malice, right? He has taken um, a great deal of his own native power and spirit for the domination of others, and he has distilled it into the Ring of Power. It is like a phylactery. Um, it is not just an artifact um, <clears throat> that that he made. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, um, it's So it's kind of like a weapon, you know, that has been made, but much, much more, much like way, way, way more um, uh, than that. Um, yeah, yeah. OK. Um, all right. So. In th that is the sense in which the ring is all it belongs to Sauron and was made by him alone and is altogether evil. Again, like it belongs to Sauron and was made by him alone sounds like, and therefore we can't use it. You know, it only responds to Sauron's will. Except that's not true, right? It, the, the, what those things are leading up to is not that it's, you know, bound to Sauron, uh, you know, like your, you know, Lotro weapon is bound to your character. Um, rather, it is... Um, it is belongs to Sauron and was made by him and is altogether evil. Like that is an expression of how evil it is. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so its strength, Boromir, is too great for anyone to wield at will, save only those who have already a great, who already have who have already a great power of their own. So he does say most people can't use it. Most people couldn't use it. It's not like anybody who has the ring. It's not like, you know, I don't know, Frodo over there could pick up the ring and master it and try to use it himself. Right. That's not going to happen. Right. Okay. 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 Bad example. Um, but um, he, most people can't use it. Right. Gollum was in no danger, was not really a danger to Sauron with it. Right. Um, only those who already have a great power of their own can use it. Um, OK, that's a really interesting question being discussed, um, which is <clears throat> um, Ryan Basel on Twitter was asking and you guys on Discord are also talking about. Um, can there, are there any instances of Dragon Tarachne? I think this was you. Um, where was it? Yes. Are there any instances in Tolkien's writing of the opposite? A tool made for benevolent purposes, infused with benevolence, which ultimately does good, even if one attempts to use it for evil. I like Matt from Wisconsin's, uh, example of the file of Galadriel. Um, that seems like a pretty good example. Um, but, um, but I'm thinking, but, you know, Ryan was also asking, are there neutral artifacts? Um, is there anything that is like genuinely neutral? And I think that there are neutral things. Um, uh, 
the Palantir is a really interesting example, Emily, and I think it's one of the most complicated ones. Um, oh, good. So, Trifle, I suspect that you're su- you're suggesting that Glamdring would be an example of an imbued with goodness artifact, right? Um, I suspect so. I suspect so. Um, but um, the the Palantiri, I think, are a really interesting possibility um, because we see them being used for good and we see them being used for evil. I think those, to me, come to... Now, like, weapons, magic weapons are tricky, right? Because on the one hand, what's the point of a sword, right? I mean, all you can do with a sword is kill things. That's one of the things that makes swords important, important symbols, uh, because... Almost any other weapon can be adapted for something else, right? Swords are useless for anything except combat. Um, uh, the other, you know, there are friendly uses for axes. There are friendly uses for spears, um, comparatively friendly. Um, <clears throat> there are no friendly uses. There are no non-military uses uh, for swords. Um, so even Glamdring, I wonder... You know, I mean, uh, the cold anger of the elves against the goblins is, uh, you know, they it burns with a with a blue fire when it is in the presence of goblins, and that's it's well, the goblins obviously don't find it benevolent, right? Um, uh, so yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, how about blades bound with spells against the witch king? Sure, yeah. Um, but again. It's still a tool of destruction, right? It's still a tool of destruction. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, um, there are, I would think, apparently more neutral artifacts. Um, Galadriel's rope, uh, sure. Um, uh, Frodo's mithril coat. I think was suggested Bilbo Spoons. <laughs> Bilbo Spoons. I like that, Lady Lakata. That's that's very good. Uh, Bilbo Spoons, which are kind of like the Silmarils, right? Bear with me now. Uh, <laughs> right? uh, the fact that other people desire Bilbo Spoons and steal them is not the fault of Bilbo Spoons, right? The old Duke's cufflinks. I know there's a good example of a benevolent, a totally benevolent artifact, right? Um, yeah, but anyway, so, yeah. So are there kind of like neutral things? I think in some ways, though, like neutrality is a really interesting question on its own, right? And probably one that's too big to discuss tonight. Um, but... And yes, Sharon, I agree. And the Silmarillion, the making of swords and weapons in Amman is definitely cast as a bad thing. Exactly. Swords in particular, right? When the Noldor start making swords um, in Amman, it's a huge deal for exactly that reason, right? What, what's Feanor going to do with a sword? When he draws his sword on Fingolfin, even when he comes in wearing a sword, what, what do you, what's the plan, Feanor? What are you going to do with that? Right. Um, there is literally no justification for wearing a sword in Amman because... The only thing you can do with a sword is fight people, and there's nobody you're supposed to be fighting, right? Um, but um, anyway, um, so all right, I don't get too distracted on the good and neutral thing. Um, 
do I think that there are things which are sort of just tools which can be used for good or for evil, uh, depending on the, you know, the choices of the wielders? Yeah, sure. No, I, I do think that's fine. I don't think that every artifact is imbued with, like, goodness or evil, um, necessarily. But um, the ring is different. It is altogether evil. That is the really important word there. It is altogether evil. There is nothing good. There's no There's no potential for good in it. There is no... It is not... Because even a sword, which is designed only for killing, well, you know, if you stick the sword in the right people at the right time, good can come of that, right? I mean, like, you know, it takes but one to make a war, as Eowyn would explain. Um, uh, so... Um, you know, there's, uh, there are definitely at the very least, like uh, more than one potential schools of thought about weapons. There can be no two schools of thought about the ring. Um, it is altogether evil. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and Matt, I, Matt from Wisconsin, I agree that his statement, it belongs to Sauron is particularly interesting given that, um, Claiming the ring and seeking to possess the ring and to to have the exclusive rights to the ring um, is the number one thing that we see everybody doing. Right. And Elrond is kind of cutting across that. Right. That in itself is a deception and, you know, potentially a deception that Boromir is on the receiving end of already. Right. As they speak. Um, But it truly belongs to Sauron. Um, and yes, for Thoughtless, no one since Sauron has ever mastered the ring. That's, that's true. That's true. Um, is this why the ring doesn't work at all in Tom Bombadil's hands? Uh, no, he's not trying to master it. He's already master. What does he want with the ring? Um, um, I, I still hold that it is the sort of purity of his desires, right? It is, uh, uh, it is the, the, the purity of his contentment. Um, he doesn't want anything from the ring. He has no, uh, no, uh, what was Faramir's phrase? Um, no lure or desire, uh, towards the ring. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, exactly. He has no selfishness to be amplified. That's exactly right. All right. Its strength, Boromir, is too great for anyone to wield, save only those who have, have already a great power of their own. But for them, it holds an even deadlier peril. Now, again, Tony, when we come back to the question, how does he know all this? Does can I, I think he can have learned all of this. He knows how rings of power work, right? So he would know even that his own ring of power, the elvish ring that he wields, works this way, right? That if he were to give, you know, uh, if he were to give Vilya to Bilbo right now, right? Or, you know, well, not Farmer Maggot, obviously, but if you were to give it to some other random hobbit who wasn't Farmer Maggot, um, then um, uh, then they wouldn't be able to do anything with it, right? He knows how it works. Um, he is familiar with the relationship between the power that the ring has and the power that he himself has that is being used with the ring, right? Um, so I think that he can certainly under understand that. Um, but for them, it holds an even deadlier peril. The very desire of it corrupts the heart. Um, 
Uh, the very desire of it corrupts the heart. Consider Saruman, right? So he does suggest here that it is the desire for the ring that corrupted the heart of, of Saruman, um, that the ring does play some kind of role, right? And again, this is where he's coming around to it's not... Saruman didn't fall all by himself. Like, yes, Saruman's responsible for his own fall, um, but he was not... This is not um, the path that he merely just laid for himself. Um, Emily says, have the elven ring bearers felt the one ring trying to dominate them all these years? I don't think so. I don't think so, because they wouldn't do until someone mastered it, and no one has. No one's even tried to master it. Um, yeah, and Nancy says, do I suppose Celebrimbor designed the three elf rings specifically for their bearers? No. Um, definitely, I would say definitely not, uh, because, um, you know, they get handed down, uh, and still, I mean, Elrond was not the original wielder of Vilia, right? So, um, uh, so yeah, I, I think that they, they clearly work secondhand, right? Um, um, <laughs> right, Ollie Lynn says, wait, what? Elrond is a ring of power who spilled the beans. Sorry, spoiler, not revealed till the end of the Return of the King. Um, but in uh, what I have frequently called the worst kept secret of Middle Earth. Okay, no, that Galadriel has one is the worst kept secret, but Elrond is clearly right up there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, Kurtzman asks, is this the end of the debate that the ring is sentient? An object can't be evil alone. Oh, yeah, I can. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Um, I don't think that proves sentience at all. Independent sentience on the part of the ring. Again, if the ring is a phylactery of the evil will of Sauron, um, it is altogether evil. It cannot be used for good. Like, it just, it can't. It is not possible. Uh, for it, for good to come from the use of it, um, but that doesn't mean that it has an independent, you know, brain and is making its own plans. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, okay. Let's see. Is it the proximity of the ring that works on others, or the desire of the ring? Aranas, the evidence suggests both. But again, I don't think... Um, I would be cautious here. I do not think that he is... I think that we have to be careful not to be too comfortable thinking about the power the ring is exerting on other people itself. The ring as a concept is dangerous. Even were the ring 100% inert and didn't act on the hearts and minds of people, it would still be altogether evil and dangerous. And the concept of it would still be a deadly peril. The very, of the, the very desire of it would still corrupt the heart. Saruman... Consider Saruman. Okay, let's take Elrond's advice and consider Saruman. What happened with Saruman? Saruman studied ring lore. He studied how the rings of power worked and what they were about and what they did, right? And by studying that, by meditating on the power of the one ring, 
Sauron came to desire the kind of power that he was learning about, right? Um, I see how the rings of power work. That's awesome. That would be really cool. Um, I would like that kind of power for myself. Was the ring acting on him? No, it doesn't have to. The ring, even as a theoretical idea, is dangerous because the ring is all about the whole concept of the ring, just the very idea. There's this thing which, if you have it, will make you the lord of the of the world, right? Will give you the power to dominate the wills of others. We know that Saruman's are he already digs dominating the wills of others, right? Saruman does that. His voice, like it's what he's about, right? He's already been working on that. This kind of power appeals to him. So, for him to learn, hey, there's a technology by which. I can amplify that and increase my power and give myself more and more ability to accomplish the noble ends that I wish to accomplish. Hey, that's great. Hey, that's great. Right. Um, that's tempting on its own. Right. Um, that's that's a big deal. Right. Um, and then, oh, wait, there exists already. Like this technology is in the world. Right. If I find this thing. I can do that. I can do it, right? I can make it happen. Um, he doesn't ever have to encounter the ring, and the ring doesn't have to do anything to Saruman, right? He's doing it to himself, but the very desire of it is corrupting his heart. That is, the ring is altogether evil. It is, in its concept, evil. As a theoretical idea, it's evil. Altogether evil. Um, and tempting. And alluring because boy, you know, if you can, I mean, who doesn't want to accomplish their goals, right? I mean, you're a good person. You have good goals. You're going to want to accomplish your goals, right? I mean, unless you're Tom Bombadil or possibly Farmer Maggot, you're not going to, you're like, you're going to be open to that temptation, no matter who you are. And the better you are and the stronger you are, the more likely you are to be tempted, right? So again, it's, it's like Sauron, Sauron has done the thing that everybody kind of wants to be able to do. That part of everyone's mind wants to be able to do. Um, um, Boromir, right? Valor needs first strength and then a weapon. Saruman. Um, the world of men is coming, which we must guide, right? But in order to do that, we need power. Um, that's exactly... Um, the way it's the perfectly natural way to think it's the way that everybody thinks, the way that Sauron thought himself. And so he takes that idea and he realizes it, right? Um, to it's again, it's like putting aside the means in order to achieve the ends embodied, right? It is all together evil and in large part is because of this deadlier peril. The very desire of it corrupts the heart. And this is where it's different from the Silmarils. This is why I keep insisting. I, I always, always dig in my heels and refuse to accept the parallel between the Silmarils and the ring. The Silmarils inspire desire, but the desire of them is very, very different. They don't, they are not a means to an end. They're not going to tempt anybody as they are an end in themselves, right? And so, yes, you may find that possessing them is an end in itself, which is going to lead you to chuck out, uh, to, you know, 
do things like slay your kin in order to accomplish it. But see, that's a different thing, right? Um, they are a work of art. They're just beautiful. The ring is itself the distillation, like the, 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 it is the embodiment of the idea of a means of power, a tool that will enable you to accomplish whatever ends you want, right? Um, the Silmarils are an end. The ring is the means, right? It is the essential, the quintessential uh, means. So like for, first strength and then a weapon, right? Um, uh, so... Yeah, and Green Great Dragon, you're right. The concept of the Silmarils without seeing them is not nearly as alluring. You're completely correct about that. Um, was anyone ever corrupted by the idea of the Silmarils? You know, like, no, you had to see them to be, <laughs> to, to like, you know, have your desires become corrupted. Um, uh, but the, the very concept of the ring, right? Even his own ring research that, you know, Saruman is doing is um, part of the, the means and ends thing. Right. Even just the idea that it's possible that the prototype exists is enough to make him um, want to pursue this. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, OK. If any of the wise should with this ring overthrow the Lord of Mordor, um, using his own arts. By the way, um, should with this ring, um, has anyone else ever had that moment when you're attending a wedding and the bride and groom say, with this ring, and in your head you complete the statement, overthrow the Lord of Mordor? Um, that happens to me a lot when I'm at weddings. Um, but anyway, um, if any of the wise should with this ring overthrow the Lord of Mordor, this is, by the way, is one of the reasons I find it like when during the like, you know, Tolkien popularity that immediately ensued the Peter Jackson films, when people, um, uh, when people had, uh, you know, like when it became really popular, like people started to like. There are several examples that I saw of like people who you like had the ring inscription on their wedding rings. Um, and I was just like totally horrified <laughs> by when I saw that. I'm like, that's, that's so wrong. I mean, it's like cool and everything. Like I get it. I understand. I think I understand like the spirit in which they're doing that, but yikes, yikes. Um, uh, yeah, I'm just like, I, I, Tolkien would absolutely like, have freaked out about this. I mean, even like in his life, he talks about how like, you know, people kept giving him things that had the ring inscription on them, like, you know, that they made and stuff. Uh, and he's like, you know, he, uh, what did they give him? Was it a, was it a, a cup that they gave him with the ring? And he used it as, a, as an ashtray. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, okay. So, um, if any of the wise should with his ring overthrow the Lord of Mordor using his own arts, he would then set himself on Sauron's throne and yet another dark Lord would appear. Now, this is not necessarily literally true. Um, 
that like he's going to overthrow Sauron and then he's going to rule, you know, whoever does it would then rule from Barad-dûr itself, right? Like it's, there's some, he's speaking sort of um, uh, metaphorically here, right? Um, uh, you know, so if uh, if Aragorn were to take the ring and use it to overthrow Sauron, he probably would go back to Minas Tirith and be crowned, right? But then Minas Tirith would become Barad-dûr in time. Um, so like that would become essentially functionally Sauron's throne. Sauron's spirit would live on. This is why it is impossible. Like for if the ring survives, and if more importantly the ring triumphs, if the ring is used to triumph, then Sauron has won because the spirit of evil domination uh, in the ring is the spirit of Sauron. Um, um, yes. Um, so yeah, right. The, his throne is metaphorical here. Um, definitely. Um, the throne of Sauron is being used metaphorically as, again, this kind of, you know, uh, tyrannical uh evil domination, yet another Dark Lord would appear. Um, so this would not solve the problem. It is a spiritual throne, Ilamar. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, um, yes. Yes. Um, and yeah, Tony, you're right. Sauron could come back to claim it. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. It probably, uh, that's probably true. Uh, I don't know the answer to that question, Tony. That is, what would happen to the spirit of Sauron if Sauron were overthrown by somebody using the Ring of Power? Um, would he be able to rebuild himself in the wilderness? I don't know. Yeah, Fort Thomas, that's a good theory. I think that um, someone who mastered and wielded the one could probably control Saur uh, Sauron and enslave him. I think it is possible. I think it is possible. Um, yeah, Trifle was just saying that that seems to be an open question. Yeah. Um, Sauron's fear of one of the good guys wielding the ring against him seems legit. Like, Sauron does seem to be legitimately concerned that if Aragorn or Gandalf or Galadriel or somebody like that were to wield the ring against him, he would lose. I don't think that he sees that as a step towards his ultimate long-term victory. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Both Frumius Bujum and Nancy L. at the same time were thinking about Numenor when they overthrew and enslaved Sauron. Different. Different. Entirely. Um, in that they're not you, they weren't using his ring. Right. That Sauron was enslaved because he volunteered. Right. I mean, he was... Uh, um, that was that was strategery on on Sauron's part, right? Um, so it's very different from another ring lord arising and driving him out. Um, um, yeah, having Sauron as a slave would be having a tiger by the tail. I agree, um, uh, but um, uh, but yeah, but, but yes, that's true. But again, you know you've got the teeth of the tiger, you know, yourself. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. I, I, yeah, I, I, cause I mean, you are also the tiger. I mean, you have the essence of the tiger. Um, exactly. Yeah. Sauron was Iago. Sauron was Wormtongue. Yes, exactly. 
Um, I think if I had to, I think if I had to guess what would happen to the spirit of Sauron once he's overthrown, I don't think he would be utterly destroyed. That doesn't seem to happen um, ever. Um, I think if anything, he would probably be enslaved. Enslaved. Like, and I don't mean enslaved like our Farazan enslaved him. I mean enslaved like he has enslaved the Nazgul. Um, uh, Trifo, I agree with that. Um, I think so. I think so. Um, yeah. Um, enslaved and tormented by seeing someone else wielding the ring, right? Yeah. Very likely. Very likely. Um, okay. Yep. I suspect so. I suspect so. Um, so yeah, could the ring be used, Freebird, to actually eradicate Sauron? Uh, no. No, yeah, I agree with Matt from Wisconsin, only, only by destroying it. No, because his spirit is preserved in the ring. But he wouldn't be driving that bus anymore. I mean, that was what he did when he made the ring. He made himself vulnerable to that. And that's why that's what he fears, because he knows. That was the risk he took. If, in the unlikely event that one of the other, that one of his enemies that he's trying to overcome, remember, he made the ring of power because he had these big, huge, super powerful enemies um, that he wasn't sure he could beat um, straight up. Celebrimbor, Gilgalad, Galadriel, you know, that um, he needed resources in order to overcome them. And so he rolls the dice, right? He gambles. Um, because should one of his enemies, one of his super powerful enemies, get his ring, they could use his own power against him um, and he would be not able to oppose that. He would not be able to, you know, he's made it usable, in fact, by somebody else. Um, and that's why that's what he most fears. Now, he's also made it destroyable, but he's not worried about that, right? Because who would do that? That's ridiculous. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that is another reason why the ring should be destroyed. As long as it is in the world, it will be a danger even to the wise. Like Saruman. Um even knowing that that technology exists, even if you don't have it, it doesn't have to be acting on you. You don't have to be near its like spiritually radioactive presence, right? Um, just knowing that it exists, that it's possible, that there's something out there, a thing that would give you the power to do what you wanted. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I agree. Um, Especially to the right, to the, to the wise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it will be a danger even to the wise, possibly, especially to the wise for nothing is evil in the beginning. Now Elrond hits us with some big time theology. And here is one of the moments which changes the course of Tolkien's subcreated world and creates the orc problem for nothing is evil in the beginning. Even Sauron was not so. The big important point that he's making here is that, I mean, yes, this is a really important theoretical or theological point, that is to say, right? Nothing is evil in the beginning. Um, but the application here is all of us 
could end up like Sauron. Don't fall into the thought that Sauron is evil because he's fundamentally different from us. We are by nature the good guys, and he is by nature a bad guy, right? And so if we can just overthrow him, if the good guys can win, then we've won. And good has triumphed, and evil is destroyed, and all is well. And Elrond says that isn't how it works. Nothing is evil in the beginning, and therefore the corollary to nothing is evil in the beginning is that anything can become evil. It's a fluid situation. Um, Sauron used to be good also. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, Um, exactly. We can't be complacent that we're good. Absolutely, absolutely. uh, does this mean that in Tolkien's world there is technically no natural depravity? Yes. Yes, that is true. Um, sort of true. Um, he kind of pushes it back a stage uh, from that. Um, are things twisted in the um, are things twisted in the world and sort of inclined to corruption? Yes, but only because Morgoth has done that to the world. Um, Morgoth has uh, has twisted the world. Um, but even Morgoth was not evil in the beginning. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, don't worry, uh, Linda, I'm not going to launch into a whole sidebar on the problem of the orcs. Just wanted to point out that the problem of the orcs here confronts us. Um, um, but yes, exactly, Freebird. He is following, following here uh, very much the Christian tradition. Uh, Morgoth and uh, Sauron both are fallen beings like Satan and the demons, any of the, you know, the evil people and the evil uh, spirits uh, in the Bible were originally good, right? So that this concept that all is good and that what God creates is good, but it is free to fall uh, and become evil. He is uh, very firmly um, enforcing the, you know, that here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so again, but I love that how he he leaves the. I mean, he's been giving the warning, right? But he doesn't. He doesn't make that last statement explicit, right? Nothing is evil in the beginning. Even Sauron was not so. The next logical statement, right, is and therefore any of us could go that way too, and will if we're not careful, right? If we are not aware of the choices that we're making. If we put the ends before the means, right, and go down that path, consider Saruman, right? If we go down that path that Saruman did, I love how consider Saruman is right in the dead center of this paragraph, right? Um, Because so many times from the beginning of the paragraph, from the end of the paragraph, we can come back and say, consider Saruman, right? Um, yeah, Lady Lakata was saying the same thing. Um, yes, um, any of us can, if we make the wrong choices, right? If we if we make these choices, if we say, if we do these things, we too can fall and become like Sauron. His conclusion: I fear to take the ring to hide it. I will not take the ring to wield it. Um, and I really love his construction, right? Um, 
the construction of his whole speech, right? We cannot use the ruling. Alas, no, we cannot use the ruling ring, right? Um, I fear to take the ring to hide it. I will not take the ring to wield it. He starts off by asserting the impossibility of using this to overthrow Sauron, not because it's not practical, but because there's no long-term gain here. You can only use it to overthrow Sauron by becoming Sauron yourself. So then where are we? Um, But at the end, he makes these two I statements, right? Declaring his own decision. I will not take the ring to wield it. And Gandalf immediately chips in, nor I, right? Both of them immediately put it on the line. I am, I am, let me make this perfectly clear. I am not going to do this. This rejection of the ring by them is, I think, very important. Um, Gandalf does a similar thing. If you look back um, in the conversation with Bilbo back in chapter one, uh, that, that is when Bilbo's giving up the ring. Gandalf makes a similar kind of, even when he, he doesn't yet understand. He doesn't even know that it's the one ring yet, right? Um, but, you know, his don't give the ring to me. Right. Um, he is explicit. Like, I am making the choice of will to, re- to refuse the ring, to reject it. I do not want it. Um, I will not take the ring to wield it. Um, the context, I fear to take the ring to hide it. He's putting his statement, I will not take the ring to wield it, in the context of the conversation they've already had, right? Um, They've been considering options. Can we hide the ring forever or or unmake it, right? That's what it kind of boiled down to, Aristotle points out, right? These are the two alternatives that are really kind of on the table. And, of course, the first thing that they considered was hiding the ring forever. And, you know, could it be held? Could it be kept? Could it be, um, um, uh, could it be, um, um, held away from Sauron forever, right? Um, and Elrond has already said, I don't have the strength. They don't have, and neither do they. Don't ask Kyrdin and Galadriel either because they can't do it either. Um, if Sauron came and tried to take it from us at the end of the day, we'd lose. Eventually we would lose. Um, so he's referring back to that, right? Notice how much less absolute it is. I fear to take the ring to hide it. The ring's already been offered to him, essentially, right? Like, could you keep it here in Rivendell? Um, what strength there is, is here with us, right? Um, with Kyrdin at the Havens, in Lorien, and here. Um, the best chance we have of resisting Sauron is here. He made, Elrond made, a pretty definite statement. He's like, yeah, I can't. I can't. Um, I do not have the strength, he said. He's now going back, and in retrospect, that strong and very definite statement, I have not the strength, compared to the statement he's now making, was a definite one. I fear to take the ring to hide it. I'm just afraid. It would make me 
afraid to take the ring, right? I'm not sure that would turn out well, right? I'd worry about that. I will not take the ring to wield it, right? That I utterly reject. I am telling you that there is no Amdir, there is no long-term hope in success of me taking the ring to hide it. I've already said that, right? But that is in a totally different category from what I am now saying about wielding the ring. Let there be no mistake. I'm not talking about Amdir. Hope, right? Hope of likelihood of victory, right? I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about tactics. I'm not talking about practicalities. I am making an affirmation and a decision of will. I will not take the ring to wield it. Um, that is not going to happen. Um, and in doing that, he is drawing a line in the sand. He is overcoming any temptation the ring might give to him. Is the ring tempting him right now? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Um, but he is rejecting, and Gandalf immediately joins in too, right? Um, I also, you know, nor I, I also will not take the ring uh, to wield it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Next week, we will look at what happens to Boromir. Um, we've looked at Boromir's uh, proposal, and I have suggested that it's a very sensible proposal, and I still think it a very sensible proposal. Um, that, uh, you know, knowing as little as he does about the Ring of Power, it's a perfectly sensible thing to suggest. But we've also had some reason to believe that the temptation of the ring is already drawing him towards it, is informing his very sensible suggestion. When his very sensible su suggestion is so very emphatically shot down by Elrond, we cannot use the ruling, the, the ruling ring. I will not take the ring to wield it. Um... How's Boromir going to respond? What do we see in Boromir's response? Um, what evidence can we get about Boromir's own, like, internal state um, by looking at his response? Um, we'll look at that next time. Um, Tony, I agree. We only did one slide today, but this is a really important slide uh, with lots of really... Um, uh, with lots of really big uh, issues in it. So... Next time, uh, this is what we'll, we will look at Boromir's response. And I think it's interesting. Um, things are going to get a little chippy next time, which I think is really fun. Um, <laughs> oh, Matt, that's a really awesome slide title. I think I, I, think I might have to change. <laughs> I think I might have to change the title. Uh, Matt says the title of the next slide should be something like... Can, <laughs> Uh, can I have a little bit of the peril? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a really good suggestion. <laughs> eh, 
Anyway, okay. All right. Um, so with that, we're going to end our book discussion, and it is field trip time. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. I will be back next week. Remember, we are approaching... I th- did I mention this in here? I don't remember if I did or not. I'm going to be away the last week of April. Um, so we still have two more, I believe, two more um, sessions um, uh in which, uh, where like normal before, like weird things start happening. Um, that is like before I'm going to be missing my, my, uh, uh, my session. So, um, we will, uh, uh, so yeah, so I will be here next week. So see you guys next week and on to our field trip. Um, good evening, Valori. Evening. How are you? All right. So we are headed back to Limlock, isn't it? Um, Limlock. Limlock. That's right. Exactly right. Okay. Okay. And I did um, milestone it last time, so I'm just going to pop over as we continue to explore another area I've never been to in my life outside of our field trips. So exciting. It is fairly perilous, but um, here I am perfectly willing to sample the peril. Nah, you would. Okay. Um, all right. So here we are in Limlock. Now we looked around here before primarily because I was looking for ruins and we'll come back to the ruins, but I feel it is a little rude to only look at the ruins and ignore like the people in their town. So let's look at the people in their town here first. So we've got the Bjornings, um, with so these are definitely Bjornings. Love the bear buckle there. I'm gonna be in one of the things I'm gonna be interested to see from the people is do they have any of those little wooden bearded face dude talismans? I don't think oh, so. Yes. Okay, that's a horn on her hip there. Okay, interesting. Looks like an actual like goat horn there. Um Okay. So these people look diff. Um, what I'm doing is I'm kind of comparing and contrasting, like what we saw down in, um, you know, what was it, Blomgard and Hultvis, um, to see what kind of similarities and differences we can see in cultures. Those seem to be, yes, they're Bjorning cultures, but there seemed to be a distinction, didn't there, between like. Um, like the the remnants of the woodman culture and the descendants of Bjorn because like let's let's remember the history of the Bjornings right yes what the Bjornings were the Bjornings yes are the descendants of Bjorn but the descendants of Bjorn are a subset right what Bjorn does at the end of the Hobbit is that he takes all of those independent woodmen that are gathered around there on the eaves of Mirkwood, and he brings them together for the first time, at least in a long time, into a political collective, right? He becomes their their lord. Yeah, a state leader. Yeah, so he's basically kind of, I mean, so is his own culture, like the the whole Bjorn thing, right? Um, Right, the whole Bjorning thing. Um, Does that become their culture? Yeah, but also they had their own traditions, right? Their own cultures. And yes, like they, they band together and he becomes their leader and they, as a people, prosper under his leadership and the leadership uh, of his, um, uh, of his 
um, folks, right? The, 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 the leadership of his, of his people. Um, but, um, anyway, so that's, um, but again, it's, it's not a culturally monolithic group. The Bjornings is what I'm getting at. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's a it's sort of homogenized culture of a blend right. of different cultures right or might or, or not even or still heterogeneous really right um potentially oh, yeah. yeah okay exactly so well, that, that's what i think by the clothing and the different stuff right. we've seen architecture wise and building wise it does seem like a lot of there's a lot a big mix that's what i think i'm seeing here um and that's what i was kind of wanting to point out these folks look more like the bjornings we see like at the bjorning house right yeah yeah they Notice, like them too yeah, notice the architectural differences. They have the same kind of windows, but apart from the windows, these houses look quite different from the houses in Holtvis, I think. Um, not quite as wrecked. <laughs> what'd you say? They don't look quite as sad, dear elect. Well, that's true. They're not overgrown by that, like, green moss stuff. But part of the reason they're not overgrown by that green moss stuff is that there's, le- there's less wood, right? Um, yeah, and, and more sunlight. Right, right. Yeah, they've got um, wood shingles instead of uh, rocks sort of tied down. Yeah, yeah. And uh, no no pulleys. <laughs> right, no pulleys. Oh, man, no pulleys. Um, and none of those, none of those icons, none of those statues, yeah. which were clearly old, right? I mean, that did seem to be a tie. And the fact it was, it was current in the culture in that we saw lots of people having those talismans around their neck and hanging at their belts. Almost everybody had them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't see any of those here. And we've seen that before, right? Like we've been to other, like the little town where we were originally attacked by invisible axe-wielding bears. Um, mm-hmm. yep. The people there were like here. More of the pure Bjorning, less of the old woodman culture. So I'm assuming that those um also the face tattoos did the other people have face tattoos i'm not sure they did uh no they did not yeah so like the the facial tattoos um uh the i mean the clothing is different the style of clothing is rougher these are more like hide and sort of cruder leather um uh uh clothing more more martial too i mean more yeah more more military in their ba- bearing. I mean, look at this woman here, right? Um, she is like trim and ready for battle. Even like her braids, right? She's she's ready to go. Not no hair flying around that someone can grab oh, onto, yeah. right? You know, and and this that's a, uh, that's a business French braid. It is. It really is. And the the I love the bare shoulder guard that she's got going on here. Um, oh yeah. Yeah yeah. Um, so architecture wise, architecture wise, look at the big sort of meat hall community center. Yes. Well, let's see where the shape of that it more is more reminiscent of the upside down boat features that we see among Rohirrim. Hmm. So this big guy over here near the cow pens. Oh, you're looking at the big guy near the pen, the cow pens. Yeah, yeah. 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 Over here. So this guy, this building right here, the roof is substantially different from what we saw. Oh, the big roof. The this yeah. big barn down here, yeah. Big old barn. It looks like an upside-down ship. Very similar to here. You're right. It is shaped from the side. The shape of the roof and stuff is more like the shape of... It's it's like the shape of Meduseld. Mm-hmm. Really. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I know how to build ships if they're landlocked. <laughs> I... The thing that I'm noticing, the difference... So I'm looking at two things. I'm looking at their houses, and I'm looking at the... This house up on the hill, which is in the, like... I mean, I don't know, like, who Runeric Notbeard here is, and what the... If this is just this dude's house. I know, he's big, and he... Which, again, is like a Bjorn thing, right? Yeah. I mean, like... I come up to this guy's shoulder, right? I mean, this guy's huge. That's a pulley that looks like it's going to do what it's supposed to do. He's got a pulley, you're right. By what looks like a silo, in fact. Yeah. Right. This looks like a pulley for the sake of, you know, that actually uses a pulley, though. This guy is super tall, so he's probably the leader, right? Yeah. I ain't going to tell him he can't do a thing. Right, exactly. And um, so, yeah, I mean, Bjorn was really tall. Um, okay, so if this guy's the chieftain, which I'm guessing, is he? Yes, um, Emily says he is, the chieftain of Limbok. Okay. okay. Um, this is probably his house. I mean, I agree with the pulley. This looks like, this looks functional. This looks like a silo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is probably his house and not like a Mead Hall kind of equivalent. Oh, though yeah. this like little porch area back not porch exactly, this kind of breezeway along the side is also kind of meat hall esque. Oh, yeah. um, it's definitely a watching area. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, maybe you can come out here like and look at the white mirror when it's raining. Um or reflect on the horse. Yeah. Yeah, very cool stuff. Anyway, okay, so um their houses this building, the other houses down there don't remind me much of the much. They remind me less of the Rohirrim buildings than like the the buildings in Holtfis. Um Yeah, Tony, I agree. There is more. Um, they do look more like Vikings than like Anglo-Saxons. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and their their homes are made of stone in st- oh I can go inside yeah you can go inside Woo-hoo, let's do that yeah. was taking for granted I couldn't okay what yeah do it's we a nice change here? isn't it yeah oh, we've got Goldilocks and three bears over here oh dear again oh I see right the three bears okay I just met Goldilocks and the three bears uh in the east fold um okay this room is a little mead hall-ish for dinner can't tell if they're eating fish or honeycomb for dinner what on the table yeah back here there's a table set for four i think yeah well that looks like a huge honeycomb doesn't it or a huge honey cake maybe maybe honey cake and mead, no doubt. Oh, there's more food out here. Oh. I was looking at the one at the entryway. I have no idea what is steaming. Doesn't look super appetizing, oh. though. Looks like an ashtray. But I like the steam. 
We've not yeah, seen cool. steaming food anywhere before. No, neither. Oh, there's no food up here. Okay. Probably porridge. Porridge? Of course. In keeping with the three bears theme? Okay. Yes, of right. Bowl of beans. Yeah, no, I think it's... Yeah, that, that porridge does look a little too hot, I gotta say. Yeah. Um, that cake's making me hungry, though. <laughs> yeah. It looks so good. It does look good. I ate so much junk this weekend. <laughs> look at all the stone on the walls on the inside. Again, the houses in Holtvis were m mostly wood, right? And this is mostly stone. So again, we can see some, like, different traditions. Oh, look at this design. That's really cool. The knotwork design. This is very like what we see. Um, it's, oh, it's like a very Viking design, doesn't it? Is, is it a serpent? It looks like a yeah, serpent. it looks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it looks almost like a serp, serpent. I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think the serpent is Two actually cats, eating its tail, but I think they're serpent heads. But um, yeah, exactly. They're like Celtic knot snakes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, really cool. But the. Um, But as I say, the the homes themselves interesting. It's wood on the outside and stone on the inside. Huh. That's fascinating. So you've got these the boards out here are a facade. Probably for insulation. Uh the extra stone. Interesting. Okay. So primarily like Bjorning culture, like the descendants of Bjorn. Whereas in Holtvis, we're seeing more of the remnants of the old woodman culture, all still together, all still sort of unified, right? Um, but, um, uh, but we can see the variations. Now, ruins. Who used to live here? And why? It doesn't look like elves. There's nothing obviously elvish about these ruins. They're very old. Much older than, say... I mean, like, look at this arch. Look how much older this arch looks than, for instance, the... Um, uh, the Arnorian ruins around Bree. Right? Yeah, I'd say these predate it by quite a bit. Yeah, it, it, it sure looks like it. It sure looks like it. Um, looks seeing, like, little sort of ionic caps of columns at the bottom of at the start of the arch here? At the bot at the base? Yeah, there's a there's a column going up and then there's a little cap and then and then it starts the arch. Right, right. Yes. Some sort of fluted column with Yeah. Some sort of no, I'd say Doric, some sort of Doric looking yeah. top. Yeah. Yes. This, these might belong to some of the... The stonework first looks... First men to crawl, crawl out of the hills and see elves for the first time. Yeah, I mean... So when would this be? It looks, as I say, way younger than the Arnorian stuff, which goes back to the first half of the Third Age. Yeah. So would this be Second Age? Now, Tony is wondering about what about possibly from the old kingdom of Rovanian... Which is a really interesting question. Now, I'm not sure. Um, I know very little of them. 
Yeah, we know very little about Rovanian, except that it was mostly over on the other side of the woods. Yes. Um, the kingdom of Rovanian was mostly over here, between Mirkwood, like around the East Bight, um, would have been possibly even a product of the kingdom of Rovanian. Um, but, um, yeah, so like Rovanian was up here. I don't know to what extent the domination of the of the kingdom of Rovanian extended over here to this other side. Um, but I don't know who else this could be. Uh, now, it's possible that, like, the reason... Now, if it were the kingdom of Rovanian, it would not be much earlier than the Arnorian ruins that we see in uh, around Bree. But, of course, there could be a perfectly good explanation of that, right? And that is that... Um, the Harnorian stuff is better made, right? Um, that's still being yeah. built with with uh, Numenorian technology, right? Yeah. So well, one would expect their stone, you know, their ruins to last better. I mean, yeah. at the at the end of the day, well, if these ruins are like two thousand years old, they've got an excuse to look pretty worn down. It's not bad for two thousand. Yeah. I mean, hey, we got one art thing up over here. Okay, now right, and this one has a capstone, doesn't it? Yep, it does. It didn't explode like the other arches. And it's got nothing carved on it. Very plain. A Spartan looking. It's more. It's definitely more function than form. And it's got some of those like cracks and stuff in it that make me think that it, there are carvings, but there aren't. Like it looked like from a distance, it looks like there are runes on the arch, but I totally yeah. don't think that I, there I are. I think it's weathering. Yeah, exactly. So we have an undecorated arch, even though we have a nice keystone. I think the fact it's sunk in the earth so much is what saved it. Right. Presumably so. But I'm also going to say, since it... Why is this... Oh, we've got wargs and badgers attacking us out here, don't we? Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, the Badgers is the biggest insult. Yes. Okay, so I'm looking at the ruins that we saw from the inside of the wall over here. Again, no evidence, so no carving. Again, not elvish. It's got to be human. No evidence that it was Numenorean. At all. And so, therefore, would this have been originally built at the time of the Aotheod? Would this have been, perhaps, and I'm backing up here now to look at it kind of tactically in the land. Where are we? We are north of the Bjorning Lands. We're st- okay. We're reasonably far up. I mean, we should be right around there. Um, see, look, this goat and I are getting along like a house on fire. Um, uh, and I do think it was one of these horns that that lady had on her hip, by the way. Exactly. So, the Aotheod certainly has to be a candidate. Now we know that the Aotheod, the Aotheod was established when things started to get crowded, like they'd kind of defected from the kingdom of Rovanian, essentially, and they mm-hmm. they moved up here. And they that we know the time that they moved up into this region, and they moved up to this region when 
Angmar fell. Because that's one of the interesting things about this, going back to the wider map. Um, and of course, it's kind of hard to, because we can't, yes, we can go wider than this. All right, Angmar had power over on the other side of the mountains, too. Like, the king, the influence of Angmar went through Gundabad, I assume, and yeah. came out over here in the northern vales of the Anduin, up here near the sources of the Anduin. Um, yeah. Because we're we're told in Appendix A that it was when the Witch King of Angmar, when the Kingdom of Angmar collapsed, there was basically a void up here, and that's yeah, when the yeah. the Aethiad moved in. Power vacuum. Exactly. So their time here started in like 1974 ish, right? Um, uh, started at the uh, downfall of Angmar. Um, now, that was still more than a thousand years before the present day, but it's um, but it's still relatively recent. And that's why I'm it's making me wonder. Right? That's why it's making me wonder about these ruins. They could be Aotheod, but they could be pre Aotheod as well. And if they're human pre Aotheod, one of the things I'm going to be looking for as we go around the Wells of Langflood here is can we see any evidence of Angmarim influence? Can we see um, a any kind of like you know any ruins which suggest an architect an architect an, an, an archaeological level right that was like the Angmarim period um, in this um, uh, in this in this part? Um, yeah. So the the swirly um, sort of ancestor carvings in wood and the swirly ancestor carvings in stone that we've seen yes. on the other side. Right. Those are really, really old human carvings. Right. Um, and I would you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to guess. Right. Like I'm trying to guess. Do I think the oldest stuff we saw down in Holtvis, do I think it's more or less old than these ruins? And I think less. And here's why I think less. I think that. The old, like the little, um, the little round buildings that we saw that looked like the oldest buildings in Holtvis, and um, and the wooden, the old wooden, you know, icons or whatever. Um, uh, they, um, they look more crude. This looks more sophisticated. The arches here. You know, the, the carved wooden arches look more sophisticated architecturally than what we saw in the old more stuff in Hulk. More sophisticated than the stonework we've seen here, too. Yeah, so that's why I was thinking that it's older. Because, of course, like, if something is, like, more grand and more sophisticated, it's probably older, right? And the more crude stuff is the newer stuff. The opposite of what we would tend to assume when we're doing archaeology, right? Uh, in uh, in our world. But in Middle-earth, that is definitely not... Yeah. Wibbly-wobbly, magic-y-wagic-y. How it works. Um, uh, there is not progress from crude to sophisticated. Um, there is fall from sophisticated down to crude. So the fact that whoever built these walls looked like they probably knew more about wall making than anybody who lived in Holtvis at almost any time suggests to me that it was a different culture, a pre-woodman culture, and that it was a more advanced culture. And therefore, older. The track, yeah. 
does it look like the Gondorian ruins that we saw on that little island downriver in the Vales of Anduin? This one, which I forget what it's called. Erebark. Erebark. There we go. Ava. Yeah. A- er- Here we go. Yes, this thing. This island in the middle. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to... F- I don't even know exactly how to theorize who built these. I think we need more evidence. On I think we do. Let's keep it in mind. Maybe we'll find something that'll explain it later on. Okay. In the meantime, speaking of looking at things, let us wend our way back. Do we have time? No, we do not. Okay. Next week, we shall make our long-promised visit back to the bridge. Right? We will go back down to that dwarf bridge that seemed to lead straight up the hill to here, and therefore I wonder if the dwarves of Moria built it as a footbridge to visit whoever was over here. I don't know. But um, in any case, we'll go back to the bridge and get sort of the lay of the land there. Um, Can we go any further east from here? Like the map, what looks like forested? Like, can we go up to the source of the river up you there? You can, but there's a lot of enemies up there, Targon. Oh, well, that's that's no Not deterrent. Deal, but there's yeah. nothing of real interest up there, architecturally. Okay, well, still. Still. <laughs> we are explorers. We shall not be daunted. Um, even if there be giants daunted. in the land. Okay. Well, <laughs> we won't be very daunted. Um, okay. So we'll, um, we'll head up there next. But first we'll go down to the bridge. So we'll go down to the bridge and then we will explore up around here to make sure that we see all that there is to be seen. Um, and then we'll come back down in the flood fells and we'll keep going north. Um, and then there's Sundergrolt. Hmm. So much to explore. I can't wait. Okay. All right. So we will keep exploring here next time. Awesome. Thanks very much for joining us, everybody. Uh, this has been uh, uh, this has been much fun investigating. I look forward to continuing our intrepid uh, uh, explorations next week. Thanks, everybody. Good night. See you next week.